Father in heaven, just want to pray for David. I want to pray for Jill. I want to pray for Mirella as they travel as servants of the living God out to Romania. Pray that you will carry them there, Lord. Pray that you will anoint them with your Holy Spirit. So as they go, Lord, they will be a blessing to every single person they meet. Not only to the children in the orphanage, not only to the workers that they will meet at the orphanage, but every single person, every home they visit, Lord, when they go in, may something of your presence go with them into that home. May, oh God Almighty, there will be such a blessing from you over this trip, Lord, that will bring a glory and a praise to your name, that we marked in heaven, I pray. So be with them, Lord. Watch over them, protect them, and give them everything they need, Lord, as they seek to serve you in this land. And Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you might help both Kim and myself, Lord, as your servants this morning, to do what you want every single one of us to do. Help us to point to Jesus Christ. That a spotlight might move away from men. And a spotlight might be totally upon him, the saviour of the world. Gracious God, do a work we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, you may have your Bibles open to um, Romans chapter 5. And I've entitled this message, as I always have done, The Gospel of God. And we have covered a lot of ground um, over the past few months. Covered chapters 1 to 4. And Paul opens chapter 5 with these words. Therefore. Chapter 5 opens with these words. Therefore. And because he uses the word therefore, he wants us to look back at what he has been saying. And um, he has some good news. But he wants you to remember some of the bad news. Do you remember some of the bad news of chapter 1? Let's go through some of the bad news. Chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Bad news. Chapter 2. Do you remember the bad news in chapter 2? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Bad news, you remember the bad news in chapter 3? Here it is. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. 
No, not one. And so as he moves from chapter 1 and 2 and 3, bad news after bad news after bad news, he goes into chapter 4 and he begins to speak about sins being covered. And he goes on and and as he closes chapter 4, he begins to speak about one who died on the cross. He speaks of one who had cruel nails driven in his hands. He speaks about one who had a crown of thorns upon his brow, whose back was opened up with whips and beatings. He speaks of one who went into the grave. And at the end of chapter 4, he speaks of this one, and he says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our sins justification. Jesus Christ is the one that not only died, but hallelujah was raised to eternal life. Didn't stay in the grave. The grave could not hold him. The tomb could not keep him. Jesus Christ broke the chains of death and now is resurrected and is alive today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think we don't talk about the resurrection enough. But I want to tell you that Christ is risen this morning. And because he is risen, you too will rise as well. And so Paul says in chapter 4, Therefore, because of what Christ has done, therefore, because of his death, because of his resurrection, because of his life, therefore, chapter 5, verse 1, here it is says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified, we have peace with God. Now I want to tell you first of all what this peace is not. This peace It's not a peace that you have when nothing is troubling you. Some people tend to say, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and he will take care of all your problems. He will take care of all your worries. Come to Christ. And they say that. But this peace in verse 1 of chapter 5 is not speaking about that peace. It's also not speaking about the peace that the world needs. People look around in our world and they see wars and, and, and conflicts and they see anger and they see hatred and they say, oh, if God can only come and bring his peace, everything will be sorted out. Well, this verse is not speaking about that peace. It's not speaking either about the peace that Christians might have. When the Bible says that the the peace that will guard your heart and your mind. So you won't worry about your food. You won't worry about your clothing. You won't worry about anything. All you know that God will take care of your needs. That is what Christians will have. But this verse is not speaking about that peace. So if it's not speaking about those types of peace, what peace is it speaking about? 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Well, some of you may have family members who have served in the Second World War. Today, some of you may have missed it. We had that minute silence at 11 o'clock. Actually, it was yesterday, I think, was the, the proper day for, to remember those who have fallen. But on Sunday, we, we remember it as well, 11 o'clock. And on May the 8th, on midnight, 1945, Sir Winston Churchill made an announcement in number 10 Downing Street. And he told the nation that Germany has surrendered unconditionally. And in his speech, he paid tribute to the men and to the women who laid down their lives for victory. That's a quote. You see, in Europe, there was hostility. Not only in Europe, but around the world. Because in 1941, in Hawaii, Pearl Harbor was bombed. Which brought the Americans into the World War in themselves. And so, there was hostility, not only in Europe, but there was hostility all around the world. Do you know that over 50 million people died in World War II? Do you know that? 50 million people died in World War II. And Churchill said and paid tribute to the many people who laid down their lives for peace. Or take another situation. This situation is all too common in our day. Take the situation between a husband and a wife. They become dissatisfied with one another. And they begin to argue. Then they begin to swear at each other and begin to throw things at one another. And things are deteriorating and getting really bad. And now they're living separately and they are heading for the divorce courts. Suddenly, their child, their only child, has been involved in a road traffic accident. And is in intensive care in hospital. Both parents find themselves in the intensive care, weeping and crying and holding and supporting one another because of that one child who's laying in that bed. The hostility that they once felt for one another is gone. And now, because of the pain of that child, hostility is put away. The peace that this verse is speaking about is the peace that ends hostility. Let me be clear about two things. First thing is this. Men and women love to sin. Let me be clear about this. You might all be sitting in church today. You may not want to hear that, but I want to tell you something that's true. Men and women love to sin. What makes the 
biggest money in our society? Is it not sin, wickedness, like gambling, drugs, pornography, alcohol, everything like that that is really bad and wicked makes the most money in our society? Why? Because men and women love that and they hate purity, self-control, holiness, things that God loves, they hate. But the things that God hates, men and women in our society adore and love. Look what the Bible says in Romans 8. It says this, the mind controlled by the sinful nature is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You see that? The mind of the sinful nature, your mind and my mind, is hostile to God. Cannot submit to God's law. In fact, we do not want to submit to God's laws. The Bible says that those who are controlled by the sinful nature, there's no chance of pleasing God. That's the one thing that I want to be clear about this morning. The second thing that I want to be clear about this morning is this. God hates sin. Look what the Bible says in Habakkuk. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Your eyes, oh God, is too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. You know, some people have said to me, you know, I don't really like your God of the Bible. Your God of the Bible, I don't really like him. You know, how can your God in the Bible order the destruction of the people in Canaan? You know, all these people that were living in Canaan, minding their own business, and your God ordered that all of them will be killed. I don't like your God. Your God doesn't sound very nice. But they fail to understand that the very destruction of a people shows just how much God hates sin. It shows that sin is not a light matter. It's not something that God will just wink at and say, never mind. It's okay. You carry on murdering your children. You carry on taking your your drugs. You carry on abusing women. You just carry on. I just wink at you. No, God hates sin in such a manner that it's so serious. He abhors it. He abhors it. He hates it intensely. And he has to cast it from from his sight. Cannot bear to look at it. That's what happened in the Old Testament to Canaan and to the people of Canaan. It's a serious thing. It's no light matter. God didn't take his, he didn't take that situation as an easy thing. It was a hard decision. But God hates sin. You know, road traffic police officers, they see things that you and I would run from. 
Last month, there was a, a bad accident on the M25. A family traveling on a minibus. This articulated lorry smashed into this little van. The police said that the carnage was so awful that they had to take fingerprints of the people to actually identify them. You and I, if we saw that, we would run. No way we would want to see horrors that was in that car. That's why we should drive carefully, by the way. But God had the same horror that you feel of seeing body parts breathing all over the, 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 the road and, and, and people unrecognizable. You will turn away from it in horror. I want to tell you, God will turn away from sin in the same way. He can't bear to look at it. He hates it intensely. It is horrific. And so this is how this verse applies. Therefore, since we, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace. When Churchill said that the men and the women lay down their lights for peace, one man laid down his life for peace. One man, and only one man, laid down his life so that men and women who hate God and God who hates sin might be reconciled and brought together. One man laid down his life. And therefore, Paul says in his, in his reading, giving the bad news, saying all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wrath of God is being revealed against wickedness and ungodliness. Paul said, you're storing up for yourself wrath against the day of wrath. All these things are happening. But therefore, Jesus Christ died in order that all of you might have peace with God. I don't know about you, but I want to have peace with God. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. For he himself, that is Jesus, he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus Christ destroyed, demolished that wall that divided you and God. That wall that separated the two parties. Jesus Christ destroyed it. Why? So that you can have fellowship. There's peace with God. In the history books, they told us that when the king of England got the message from Churchill, he went out into the balcony in Buckingham Palace. Yes, for those of you who don't know, there was a king of England once, before we had a queen. But a king of England stood on the balcony... And before him, he gave a speech and all the people in London was cheering, 
celebrating. Why? Because there was peace in Europe. But I want to tell you this morning, there's a greater peace that Jesus Christ has brought in to declare. That you can have peace with your mighty God. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. It's peace. Let's move on from thinking about um, peace. So let me talk about thinking about grace. Not only do we have peace, but look at this verse. It says this. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. But not only do we have peace, but we also have grace. You know, if you stood in the dock before a judge, you are not expecting grace, but you're expecting justice. That's what you want. If you stand in the dock, which I'm sure none of us have, but you stood in the dock, you're not expecting grace, but you are expecting justice. And it's horrible when justice goes wrong. A man called Latimer McIntyre was jailed wrongly for 23 years. Can you believe that? This man was jailed for 23 years for a double murder he did not commit. It's horrible when justice goes wrong. But when you stand before a judge, you just want justice. That's all you want. Somebody has said to me uh, a few years ago, when I stand before God, all I want is God to give me what I deserve. Really? Is that what you really want? Yeah, he said. When I stand before God, all I want God to do is to give me what I deserve. What I want to tell you, if God gave you what you deserve, doesn't bear thinking about. But the thing is, God gives you what you do not deserve. That is grace. And the Bible says that this grace is looking at you, knowing that you deserve his anger, knowing that you deserve his wrath, knowing that you deserve him to come down on you like a ton of bricks, but he does not give you what you deserve. That is grace. There's another verse that will help us um, again, because it says in this verse, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We're standing in this grace. And I like what Paul says. Um, so the writer of Hebrews says this um, in Hebrews 4. Look what he says. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We are encouraged to go to God with boldness. Go to God with um, confidence. Come to the throne and stand there with confidence and boldness. Never mind cowering in the corner, standing before God. With boldness. You know, my father 
was a lovely man. But he was big and he was scary. I can um, remember my father's from the West Indies. He's from Dominica. And the men in Dominica, you know, they have rough justice, they call it. It normally t- helps his trousers up. Um, but my father always called me boy. Boy, come here. Boy, go over there. So when I met Kim, Kim said to me, why don't you speak to your dad? I, said, I can't speak to my dad. I'm scared of him. Plus, he doesn't even know my name. He calls me boy. But she encouraged me to go and speak to her. I went to speak to my father and I found him to be so warm and kind after I began to talk with him. Had great times with him. I was able to approach him. But when I approached him, I find him to be loving and kind. I want to tell you, God is not like our earthly fathers. Our earthly fathers haven't got a patch on God. But God says to you today, come and stand in my presence. I don't want you to cower in a corner. No, my grace allows you to come in your sin, to come in your weakness, to come in your wickedness. My grace allows you to come and to stand in my presence. This grace causes us to stand. Let us approach the throne of grace, the Bible says, with confidence, with boldness. Why? Because we will obtain mercy and grace in the presence of God. Someone say hallelujah. Someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, standing in the presence of God because of his grace. But you say, I can't. I'm so wicked. I'm so double-minded. I've got such evilness in my mind and in my heart. How can I stand? God says, come. Because Jesus Christ has made peace by his death on the cross. Praise be to God. And so we have peace because of Jesus. We have grace because of Jesus. And finally, we have hope. Here's that verse again, but the second part of this verse is this. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Another verse says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now to understand that verse, you need to go back to Romans chapter 3. Because in Romans 3, this verse and came out. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You and I, the Bible says, have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, God's standard, God's requirements, what God wants you and I to be, we have fallen short of it. We haven't made a grade. We have sinned against God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God has made you to fulfill his purposes. He created you to reflect his glory, but you have failed in doing so because of sin in our lives. 
But now it is possible. Why is it possible that I, who once failed and couldn't make the standard, couldn't make the glory of God, why now can I boast in the glory of God? Why now can I rejoice in the glory of God? Why now can I reflect the glory of God? I'll tell you why. Because of God's grace in our lives. You see, God's grace is not only there to pardon you. It's not only there to make you forgiven. But God's grace is also there to empower you. And to strengthen you. Look what Paul says again in um, in 2 Corinthians. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. How many of you here this morning are feeling weak? Things come into your life and into your world that brings discouragement, that brings depression. How many of you here are struggling with temptation, struggling to overcome evil within your life? How many of you wake up every single morning to face another day? Another hardship? Another day when you have to carry other people and you feel that you're carrying the world on your shoulders? You just feel weak. You feel weak every day. Well, Paul says this. I rejoice in my weakness. You can say, Paul, Paul, what do you mean? How can you rejoice in your weakness? You've got hardships. You wake up in the morning and there's persecution and there's tears and there's brokenness in your life. Paul, how do you mean that you boast in your weakness? How do you mean that you rejoice in your weakness? How? And Paul will say, I'll tell you why. Because when I'm weak, then the power of God can be seen. It's only when I'm broken. It's only when I'm on my knees that God's grace kicks in and people look at me and see not me, Paul, but they see the grace of God. They look at me and they don't see me, Paul, they see the power of God. When I'm weak, says Paul, it is then that I am strong. I have to mention this. Last week, a church in Texas was having a service like this. It was about 11.30 when a gunman comes into the back of the church. And he stands at the back of the church and he opens fire killing 26 people sitting here 
in a chapel worshipping God. 26 people died. This morning, the pastor of that church, a man called Frank Pomeroy, is preaching. He lost his 14-year-old daughter last week. And this morning, he's in the building next door to that church and he's preaching. How? How can that man stand with great brokenness? Not only did he lose his 14-year-old daughter, but he lost his friends in that congregation. He lost people he prayed with, people he worked with, people whom he loved. He lost 26 people. And now this morning, he's standing in the building next door and he's scheduled to preach. And the question must ring in people's mind. How is he doing this? And I'll tell you how. He's doing it because God's grace has empowered him. He's doing it because God says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And even though he's weak, even though his wife is broken, even though his church is completely decimated, this man is standing up and he's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the grace of God is sufficient to make God's name great and his name small I thank God for Frank Pomeroy and for the people who's unnamed in that church who got in the cars on Sunday morning and travelled to a church where the building has still got broken glass windows, bullet marks all over the building and blood on the pews and they drive past that church and they've gone into the building and they're saying this morning the grace of God is sufficient the power of God is sufficient for me. Even in my brokenness, even in my weakness, even in my suffering, even in my pain, I want me to decrease and I want Jesus to increase. That's what he's saying. And the question that remains for me to ask you is will you reflect the glory of God yourself? Will you rejoice that you can come to Jesus, not because he will make your world easy. He will give you a peace. No, no, no. You come to Jesus because he has made peace between you and God. Hostility has been broken. The wall of division has been wiped out and destroyed. And you can have relationship with God, have peace with him. Not only that, but you can rejoice in the fact that you can reflect the character of God. You can reflect the nature of God. You can reflect the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now, because of Jesus, I can rejoice that I can have something of the glory of God in my life. I can reflect that glory even in my weakness. My dear friends, God wants you to decrease. God wants you to get smaller. God wants you 
to be invisible. And God wants Christ to increase and to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in your lives. So when people look at you, they don't see Joe Bloggs, but they see the glory of God shining through. I went to hospital today and I saw Rob Taylor on that bed in pain. I saw something of the glory of God upon that young man. He was suffering. He's in discomfort. But John, you saw him as well the other day and so did Darren. Darren texted and said something about God being there as they witnessed and talked. But I want to tell you something. You need to decrease. Even in your health. Even in your strength. Even in your vehicles and your cars and your homes. You need to decrease. And Christ needs to increase. Praise be to God. That we can confidently reflect the glory of God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can boast, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I pray that God's glory might rest upon you. I rest upon this church. Might rest upon the church in Texas. As the world looks, may the people see and ask the question, how can that church grow? How can that church be alive? How can those men and women stand there and preach the gospel? How can Frank Pomeroy still proclaim Christ? He can do it because the grace of God is upon him. Even though his heart is broken. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Oh God. There's so much in these two verses Lord. So much that we haven't even touched. But oh God I see. That there's much to be There's much to be thankful for. There's much to be overjoyed for. For Lord because of Jesus. Because of his death. Because of his resurrection. We can have peace with you. Thank you oh God. Thank you Lord. That you have done that wonderful work, giving us peace and grace and hope. I pray, oh God, that we will be transformed by this message. That we will go from this place saying, oh Lord, may I decrease. And oh Lord, may Jesus increase. We may go from this place saying that I must go to the throne. I must go to that place of grace. Because I know that I will be accepted in Jesus. Even though I'm sinful, even though I'm wicked, even though I'm rebellious, I know that when I go into his very presence, I will obtain mercy and grace. And I will stand before him because he loves me, because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of the empty tomb. Because of the resurrection, I can stand 
in his presence. For that, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, shall we? Let's stand.